We're going to come round to the Word of God now. If you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Luke, we're going to be in chapter 22, and we are going to start at verse 47. It will come up on the screen uh, as well. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 47. Whilst he was speaking, a crowd came up, and the man, who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked, Judas, are you portraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going up to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you come with swords and clubs every day? I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour where darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Let's pray together. Father God, as we turn our attention to your words, as we open up this scripture and we see what is written, Lord God, our heart's desire today is to hear your voice. King Jesus, will you speak to each and every one of us? May we know the voice of the master leading and guiding us today. May we be challenged, may we be edified, may we be built up. Lord, may you highlight those areas of our life that you want to change. Have your way today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I said, it is such a joy to be here today. I know I've been in this building most weeks since the pandemic began, and there are a number of people here who have been along quite a lot since too. But the very fact that we can be here today and we can lift our voices in song and praise God has made my heart sing. I have missed it terribly. 
And as we, I guess, stand at the door of yet another unlocking and yet another going forward and yet another new beginning on the horizon, my hope and my prayer this time around is, though this pandemic is not yet finished, though we are not right out of the woods yet, that actually this will be the start of the time where we can begin to look forward as a church. My hope and my prayer is that God restores the year that the locusts have eaten. That as we come back together, as we once again gather as a whole church family, we can once again collectively fix our eyes upon Jesus. You know, I want this church to grow more and more, and I believe it will. I want this church to see people coming to know Jesus every time we meet. I want this baptism pool in front of us opened on a regular basis. I want people to leave this church, not because they've got some gripe or they've got some moan or they've got some problem with what's going on, but because God is calling them out of this place, calling them into Christian ministry, calling them to be overseas missionaries, calling them to plant churches and lead churches right across this this city, this nation, and this world. I believe that we will get to a point once again where this building is a challenge for us because we don't have enough space. But more than all of that, I want the partners of this church to go deeper with Jesus than they ever have before. I want to see people in this place freed from addictions, freed from mental health issues, be healed of the trauma of maybe the last year or even before that, and know the Holy Spirit leading and guiding them in their life. I want to See, a church, once again, which is so passionate and so fired up for Jesus that people go to work on a Monday and their colleagues are saying, I need to get down to Hope Baptist Church because I need to see what's going on there for myself. And you know, if you're in this room right now, just look around this room for a minute. If you're online right now, make yourself known, make people aware that you're there, but just look around. I believe that all of this is possible in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit with the people who are gathered here today. But if we are going to see anything like that happen, If we are going to see God change and transform us and our hearts and then our city and our nation and our world, we have to be a people who truly follow Jesus. You know, I was listening to a sermon recently and the preacher was saying that one of the greatest issues that a lot of Christians face in this day and age is we just get little snippets of Jesus. We get just enough of Jesus to make us feel good. We get just enough of Jesus to give us maybe a warm fuzzy feeling as we leave church on a Sunday. We have just enough of Jesus to know verses like, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you in a hope. And we pin them on our fridges and we can say, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, Jesus is with me. But we don't have enough of Jesus in order for him to truly transform us. We don't have enough of Jesus to be conformed daily to his likeness and transformed into the people that we're called to be. And this particular preacher likened this to having like the flu vaccination. We're hearing a lot about vaccinations at the moment, aren't we? And when you get a vaccination, whether that's the flu vaccination or a COVID vaccination, 
Generally, what happens is you're injected with a little bit of the virus. And as you're injected with a little bit of the virus, what it does is it makes your immune system aware of it and you become resistant to the whole of the virus. And this guy's point was that some people have had just enough of Jesus in order to keep them for from experiencing the fullness of everything that Jesus has for them. They've had just enough of God to know a little bit of the Bible. They've had just enough of God to say, yes, I am a Christian and pray the sinner's prayer, but they haven't had enough of him in order for him to truly transform them. And as a result, they have become a little bit resistant to him. That's why it's easy, isn't it, for us to to say at times, I'll go to church, but I just don't really feel like it today. I'd be more generous with my time, with my talents, with my possessions, but you know, I've just got a lot of needs in my life right now. I walk away from the sin which so easily entangles me, but I'm just not really ready to give it up yet. And as we look at this scripture today, the call once again is for us to examine ourselves and ask the question, how are we following Jesus for ourselves today? Let me just say today, this isn't a message of condemnation. This isn't a message to say you are failing, you're rubbish, you're useless. This isn't a message to say, look at how you're living. This isn't a message where you are being told off because believe me, I am not in the position to do that. Over the last 18 months or so, I have struggled with my own walk with Jesus probably more than I ever have in my entire Christian journey. I have felt hurt. I have felt frustrated. I have felt lonely. I have felt abandoned. I have felt disappointed. I've asked God, God, what on earth are you doing? God, are you even there? Why is all this happening? There has never been a time in my Christian ministry where I have been more tempted to say, that's it, I am done, I'm giving up, and I'm doing something else. So that's not the point of today's message. The whole point of today's message is to say this, you know what? There is more of God than you've experienced up until this point. That God wants to do more to you, through you, and for you than you could ever possibly imagine. There is more of him that you can experience if you just follow. So Jesus is arrested. He's taken away in the dead of night by Caiaphas to Caiaphas, the high priest. And all through that night, what happens is false accusation is brought against Jesus after false accusation. And we see in other parts of scripture that no one could prove him guilty. And Peter, he follows Jesus to the place of his interrogation. And he stood in a courtyard warming himself by a fire as Jesus has all these allegations brought against him. Now remember that this is the man that just a few hours ago was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, and when the guards came into that garden, he drew his sword and he lopped off the ear of a guard. He was the one who said, Jesus, even if everyone else falls away, I'll never leave you and I'll never desert you. I will die for you. Remember, This is that same man. And now that same man, we read in other parts of scripture, at this point, is calling down curses upon himself and saying, I never even knew Jesus. What is the difference between the man a few hours ago and the man right now? The answer is simple. It's distance. It's interesting, isn't it? And I'm not suggesting for one moment that Peter's reaction in the garden by drawing his sword and cutting off the guard's ear was the right reaction 
In fact, Jesus himself rebukes him for that very action. But in both accounts, Peter is following Jesus. In the account in Gethsemane, he's walking closely with Jesus, so much so that he is bold in the face of opposition. But here, in this particular instance, Peter is walking at a distance. And the moment a challenge comes his way, he crumbles. And he says, I never even knew him the moment the heat is turned up. Distance from Jesus will eventually lead to the denial of Jesus. Let me say that again, because that's really important for us to understand and for us to grasp today. Distance from Jesus will eventually lead to the denial of Jesus. What Peter teaches us here is that it is possible to be present, but still be distant. I wonder how many of us can identify with that over this particular year or 18 months. I wonder how many of us have logged on to online services and at the same time done our roast dinner or done something else. We can see what's going on, but we're not truly present. And we've never felt so distant from the church and from God as a result of that. Peter was able to see Jesus. He was able to see what was going on, but yet he was not close enough to Jesus to actually be in relationship with him. It is possible to attend church in person, online, however you're doing it. It's possible to be around godly people, to be in the presence of Jesus, even witness what he is doing, and yet still remain distant from him. And what happens when we're in that place is that the faith that we do have ultimately will have a very little impact on our lives. It's a bit like, and forgive me once again for using a sports analogy, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I talk about sport a lot when I preach, and it's probably because there are only a few things in my life which really excite me. Jesus is one, sport is the other. I love my wife too, she's all right. But there are a few things which really excite me, and sport is one of them. It's a little bit like... It's a little bit like those who call themselves football supporters. And there are a few of you in this room. And let me tell you something today. You really, really annoy me. Because you ask them what football team they support. And they will say something along the lines of, I support Manchester United. Or I support Manchester City or Tottenham Hotspur. But I follow Plymouth Argyle. First of all, what? You can't split your loyalties. I support Portsmouth Football Club, probably one of the worst professional football clubs in the entire country. There are many weeks after games where I think to myself, why on earth am I a Portsmouth fan? I'm going to support a decent team. But you know what? I just can't do it. I can't give my attention or my affection to another team. Although, having said that, I have bought a Plymouth Argyle season ticket this year. But I'm there purely as a neutral. I'm not supporting them. I really don't care if they win or lose. What those who say I support one team but I follow another are effectively saying is I will give my attention to the good team, but I'll just keep my eye on the local team, Dave Hawker. That way... Should a miracle actually happen that the local team suddenly start doing well, I can bask in the glory with everyone else and say that I've supported them all this time and I have followed them. But if they continue to do rubbish, I can distance myself from them. 
You know what? We fall into exactly the same trap with Jesus at times. I'll keep my foot in two camps. I'll follow Jesus in as much as I'll pray a sinner's prayer and I'll ask him into my life and I'll attend church most weeks unless something else comes up. But I won't really follow him enough to allow him to really genuinely change my life because that is the point where things begin to get a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I've been really challenged by uh, an old saint called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may well have known about him, you may know about his life, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who lived in the early part of the 20th century. He openly stood out against the Nazi regime in the early 1930s. In fact, in 1933, when Hitler comes to power, Bonhoeffer delivers a radio broadcast warning the German people that they are being seduced into the idolatry of Hitler. And his broadcast is cut off mid-broadcast. He was horrified that the state-sponsored church had compromised with Hitler, so he became a founding member of what was known as the Confessing Church. And in 1939, with the outbreak of war, Bonhoeffer moved to New York, and he takes up a teaching role in a local theological seminary. But almost as soon as he gets there, he regrets his decision, and he believes that he would have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christianity in Germany after the war if he isn't there to endure the hardships of it with the German people. So he returned to Germany, and he eventually gets arrested by the Nazis in 1943. And he's executed three weeks before Hitler commits suicide and the war ends. Bonhoeffer wrote many great works in his short life. Perhaps one of the most influential works that he wrote was a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And one of the things that he speaks about in this book is that the church is in danger of being seduced by the notion of what he calls cheap grace. And he says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. The issue is, at times, the church has reduced the great commission of Jesus Christ, where he says, go into all the world and make disciples, to go into all the world and make converts. Go into all the world and make people say a prayer. And once they've said that prayer, you can tick them off the list. They're in the club. It's all good. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, the dictionary definition of a disciple is a pupil or a follower of another. Jesus didn't simply die so that we would believe in sound doctrine. He didn't suffer a cruel death so we might have a code of conduct in how we should live. He didn't give up all that we had and take on the nature of a servant and live the life that we should have lived so we could win an intellectual argument about God. He didn't humble himself and become obedient to death so we could continue in our disobedience. He died and he rose again so that we might truly follow him. And Peter teaches us today that it is the distance that you choose which will ultimately determine the depth of your relationship 
with Jesus. If you choose to follow Jesus at a distance, is it any wonder that we find ourselves at times in the same cycle of sin that we always have found ourselves in the same cycle of depression, the same cycle of, I don't know really know what it might be for you, but those things that you've been trying to get rid of all your life, and yet you've not really allowed Jesus to get close. If you choose to follow him at a distance, is it any wonder that if your colleagues at work might be asked if you're a Christian, they wouldn't even know. But if you choose to follow him closely, There will be times where you mess up and you get it wrong. There will be times where you might attempt to draw your sword where Jesus says, put that away, it's not appropriate. But Jesus, by our sides, will give us the guidance that we need, the confidence and the ability to go through the storms and the challenges of life. But following Jesus closely comes at a cost. It means being willing to lay absolutely everything down. Bonhoeffer goes on to describe what costly grace is, and this is what he said. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ that which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, It is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Jesus Christ gave everything, absolutely everything for you. And the only response that we can truly give back to him is to say, here's my life, take it, and I'll follow. We cannot be a Christian and follow at a distance. We can't pick and choose the bits that we like about faith and then discard the bits that we don't. We can't pick and choose the bits that fit in with our lifestyle or our financial situation and discard the bits that don't. It is truly all or nothing. It means stop seeing Jesus as some sort of add-on in our life and seeing him as the very reason for your life. So let me ask you today, church, how are you following? Has Jesus been Lord of your life or has he simply been an add-on? In many respects, maybe you are living distanced from Jesus right now. 
and you can't even see him, he feels so distant. Maybe you have been so worn down by this year, this 18 months. You've been so disappointed. You have found yourself so alone, it seems, that you're not even sure where Jesus is right now. Have you been living like Peter, I wonder, and following Jesus at a distance? Today, church, there is good news. Because even though Peter totally and utterly messed up, even though he did something that he said he would never, ever do, that wasn't the end of the story for Peter. We read these words in John 21, after the resurrection. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him about the kind of death he was to have to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. The distance you choose to follow Jesus at will determine the depth of your relationship with him. You may have been following Jesus at a distance the entirety of your Christian life. You may have prayed a one-time prayer, but actually the impact that he's had on your life has been quite minimal. You may have disregarded and disobeyed and denied Jesus on numerous occasions, but the truth is, and the good news is today, like Peter, Jesus will and can restore you. Today, church, Jesus is calling you closer. He is calling you into a relationship that is so close, so deep, and so intimate that it will utterly transform every part of you. But it's costly. It costs Jesus his life. And it means laying down yours. So I'll finish this morning with some more words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 11. We read this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion, Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And if you're in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able.
And as the bands just get themselves ready, let's just take a moment in the silence to examine our hearts before King Jesus. To think about our walk over these last 12 and 18 months. To see how hard it has been. To realize the distance that might have come between you and Jesus. And recognize and hear his voice once again today calling you closer. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But today you can know the unforced rhythms of grace. Once again. Father God. I want to pray for each and every one of us in this room right now. And those who are watching online. May today be not just a marker in the sound because we can sing together again. But a marker in the sound for our own life and our own walk and our own discipleship. That, Lord, we embrace that costly grace. That grace which laid everything down for us. Well, the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. 